this morning is from John 13, 34, and 35. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Morning, everyone. I know that some of you were probably expecting to hear Joy speak this morning, and perhaps are a little disappointed. I would be one of those in that group, because um, I always look forward to hearing Joy speak. But, but she did ask if I would take her spot, and I agreed to it. Um, as you can see, even though Thanksgiving was on the early end this year, as early as it could be on the 22nd of November, we very quickly transitioned to the Christmas season, and we are in it. And the sermon I have today really is not a Christmas sermon per se, but uh, when we think about Christmas, we think about giving. We think about the gifts that the wise men brought, but ultimately... The gift of all gifts was God giving us his son. You're all familiar with the verse, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when Jesus came, he also came to give. And he came to teach the world what love is. And he came to show us how to be empowered to love and be loved. In the very beginning of scriptures, in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1, you're all familiar, somewhat at least, I'm sure, with Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up and read it this morning, but you know, in essence, what it says, that we were created in the image of God. And Jesus came with the astounding truth that God not only made men and women in his image, but he is willing to continue the process each day in our lives to make us or recreate us back into his image again. Yeah, there are parts of us that still reflect his image, but in the story of Genesis 3, when sin came into this world, we were changed in a very negative way and lost, to a great extent, the image of God. But Jesus came to show us how that we can be recreated again into his image restored to his image. To the master, the ultimate purpose of spiritual growth was to become one with God, to learn to be unconditionally loving as he is, to love non-exploitatively. That's a mouthful. (laughs) To love without motive, without ulterior reasons, but to really love as God loves. Plainly and simply, 
Jesus came to teach us that God is love, which is plainly taught, you know, in the Bible. But more than that, God is love, but also that we were created because of love and for love. His message to you and I is constantly grow towards God's character of love. Now, as I said, we all know that God is love. But uh, how about you and I? Where do we rate on the love scale? And that was Jesus' startling challenge to the religious people of his day when he came to this earth. It was not an easy challenge that the Messiah gave. In fact, I believe it represents the single most demanding call in history of human thought to love as God loves, to love one another. I have not done an exhaustive scripture search to add up the number of times that this message is in the New Testament. But any of you that has read it knows that it's a recurring message over and over and over and over. Love one another. And I believe it's because Jesus knew it is the very toughest assignment that any of us would ever have. It is a call to enter into a lifetime of spiritual growth and compassionate service to others. He is asking you and I to devote ourselves passionately to loving others. More than any other characteristic, love and compassion will be the identification mark of his followers. Unconditional love is to be the grand distinguishing feature of the Christian. Jesus came to this earth for many reasons. But I believe he came primarily to exalt love. In the scripture reading that Susie read for us this morning, it says, he called it a new commandment that we are to love one another. In reality, it wasn't new. They knew about this in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18 said that you are to love your neighbors yourself. But I think what he meant when he says it was a new commandment was that it was a lost understanding. And it was a new understanding on the thinking of the people of the time that they were to truly love one another. To him, the most important thing in life was to give love. And he came to teach you and me that the most important thing in our lives is to learn to give love. There's a great deal of talk today in this world about spirituality. Everyone seems to be on a quest to find it. Some knowingly are seeking for it. Others not even aware that that's what they're looking for, seeking for, searching for. But there's a vacuum in their hearts, and it is what they're looking for. People are looking in some strange places for it. And there's a lot of confusion about what it is. But in reality, spirituality is just another word for love. 
non-exploitative love, love that is made to happen in the real world, in the world of our families, our churches, our workplaces, the businesses, the offices, would you believe even on the internet and social media? And to find that love, the best place to look is at Jesus. The master and teacher and source of unconditional love. Spirituality is about living constantly in an attitude of love. It is about using words that reflect gentleness and kindness. It is about living in an attitude of forgiveness. Practicing a kind of, might we say, beforegiveness. An attitude that when someone hurts us, and they will, that we've already determined that we will forgive them. It's about letting go of our right, if you want to call it that, right in quotation marks, letting go of our right to get even, letting go of anger, letting go of fear. It's about doing acts of loving, compassionate, caring service. Spirituality without these elements is just fluff. It is absolute nonsense. Many of you, some of the children probably won't, but will remember Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa understood this. She devoted her life to walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and her legacy to the world is a practical, nitty-gritty kind of spirituality. And it puts shame on the pious, intellectual, philosophical religiosity the religions of dogma and pretense that are such abominable counterfeits of the real thing. Author Peggy Noonan said it this way. She wrote of Mother Teresa, you have to be a pretty tough character to organize a universe that exists to help people whom other people are not interested in. She was tough. And she was persistent. Loving people. The hardest work in the world. Oh yeah, on the surface it seems like a simple command. Just love one another. But we all know it's not that easy. And in fact, on our own, on our own power, it's impossible. We cannot do it. It is only by the continual indwelling in our hearts by the Spirit of God, the love of God, by His transforming power moment by moment, day by day, that this can happen. Yes, our love to God 
does affect our relationships to the people we know that are around us. And sometimes that's part of the problem. Sometimes our relationship with God isn't such that we would want it transferred to the people around us. I want you to think for a moment this morning about the person who has hurt you the worst during your life. Perhaps an abusive parent or spouse or aunt or uncle or cousin. Perhaps it was the employer who fired you unjustly. An ex-husband, an ex-wife. Maybe it was even a pastor or an elder in the church. I want to tell you something this morning that's very true, but sometimes hard to accept. Your personal growth, your, your spiritual and emotional health, your love for God, everything that's truly important in the inner life is limited by how well you love that person. That person that hurts you the worst. Some of you that have been around the district for a long time will remember one of our former teachers named Rich Bauer. He said something in a sermon probably 20-some years ago that stuck with me. And I want to quote him today. And maybe it wasn't original with him, I don't know. But it says, We are no closer to God than that person who we like the least. Let that sink in for a moment. And that's why healing and forgiveness are so important. Absolutely essential. Because until they happen, your ability to love and to mature spiritually is shackled by your fear, your anger, your pain, and your bitterness. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 13 are very well known to almost everybody here. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, in verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And usually we go through the Lord's Prayer and finish it, and that's it. We move on. You know? And I think many of you also know, though, that immediately following the Lord's Prayer, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus talks about this forgiveness stuff a little bit more. It says, Verse 14 says, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You know what that's really saying? 
I mean, to me, that is saying, it's not that God isn't willing to forgive your transgressions, but God is a God of freedom, and he will not take away your freedom if you insist on hating, being bitter against someone. He will not heal you against your will. And if you will not turn that over to him, even if you don't feel forgiveness, you have the ability to choose and say, God, I don't feel it, I don't want to do it, but I know I must if I'm going to heal. And I turn it over to you and ask you to give me the gift of forgiveness. I want to uh, read the same verse from another uh, paraphrase. This is a paraphrase called the remedy. Those same two verses, Matthew six fourteen and fifteen. It says, "For it is when you forgive others their wrongs that your heart is open to receive the forgiveness and healing power of your heavenly Father that He extends to you. But if you harden your hearts and refuse to forgive others their sins, your heart is closed." and unable to receive the forgiveness your Heavenly Father extends to you. When Christ proclaimed on this earth that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love, could actually be formed within you and me, the Master was telling us, that we are expected to grow towards deeper levels of forgiveness. More and more responsibility, greater and greater consciousness, higher and higher effectiveness, deeper and deeper compassion and love. There is a great deal of talk in the world today about consciousness and some of the other religions, excuse me, in Eastern religions and transpersonal psychology and the New Age movement. And to a certain extent, that's good as long as we remember one thing. The ultimate form of consciousness, of consciousness, sorry, is living in a state of unconditional love. Because we were created to love, and to be loved. And you are most fully conscious when the focus of your life is about doing acts of loving service for others. You might even say it this way, that maximum consciousness results in maximum compassion. You want to find consciousness? Once again, the true source is Jesus Christ. He was the most conscious person who ever lived. He was the most enlightened, the most loving, the most spiritual. He was continually conscious of the presence of God within him, conscious of the spirit of love living in his heart. The master's immersion in divine love, his oneness with his father, was so utterly essential to him that he literally could not live without it. And I know if you're like me, you don't like people that say literally and don't mean literally, but I mean literally. He could not live without it. 
when the personal connection he had with his father was severed at the cross, he died of a broken heart. And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this that we could relate to. And the best thing I could come up with was to think about how essential air breathing is to us. Probably all of you at some point in your life has tried to see how long you could hold your breath. Kids, have you done that? Anybody tried? How long can you hold your breath? Anybody ever been able to hold a breath for a whole minute? Yeah. Has anybody ever been able to hold it for two minutes? It's possible if you do a lot of hyperventilating ahead of time and you have a will of iron, you can hold your breath for about two minutes. But by the end, the approach of that two minutes, what is going on in your mind and your bodily needs? Your lungs start to scream for air. The need you feel for that next breath is just utterly everything. You've got to have the next breath. And that is the need the master felt for his personal presence with God, his connection with God. In him and with him every moment, so close to God, so deeply dependent on the Father, so completely surrendered to God's will that his connection with God was life itself. To have the spirit of love within him constantly was as natural and necessary to him as breathing is to us. Jesus came to this world to do many things for many reasons. But perhaps more than anything else, Jesus come to let us experience this kind of love through him and to teach it to us and came to help us become what we were originally created for, to be what he was, an expression of God's love in human flesh. And that is the promise and the power that he is willing to give to us to be healed and restored fully to God's likeness. Love is our ultimate reality. It is the purpose we were put on earth. To be consciously aware of it, to experience love in ourselves and others, is the very meaning of life. Love, however, isn't seen with the physical eyes or heard with the physical ears. The physical sense can't perceive it. Not this kind of deep, unconditional love. It is perceived only through another kind of vision, a vision that Christians call the vision of the Holy Spirit. Love requires a different kind of knowing and thinking. Love 
is the intuitive knowledge and longing of our hearts. And Jesus came to rekindle this holy sleeping fire in all of us. He came to fill us with the passion and power of love. The ministry of the Messiah focused not so much on doctrines as on relationships. And his test of discipleship was love. Let's turn to what was our scripture reading for this morning. John 13. Verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Turn to another scripture farther back in the New Testament in the book of Philippians. Which, by the way, I, I don't know if you all studied your lesson this week, but it was a wonderful lesson study this week. Um, I was in the class in the back that used the collegiate quarterly, but I know a lot of the texts that were in this week's <laughs> Lessons were a lot of the same ones I was using for the sermon today. So. <laughs> and I was started this three or four weeks ago, and I had no idea what the lesson was going to be this week. So it wasn't like I was trying to coordinate it with the lesson. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, the verse, first five verses. If, therefore, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion. When Paul is saying this, by the way, I want to pause here for a moment. He is not doubting that any of these things are true. It's a rhetorical question. He's saying these things are all very true, but if these things are true, then you need to respond this way. And that's what the next verses are. Verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. A lot of times when people read that verse 5 that I ended with there, they relate it more to the verses that follow, but I think it relates just as much to the preceding verses about this attitude in Christ Jesus. So as we read in John 13, 35, about this test of discipleship, being loving one another, But isn't it so sadly ironic that Christian denominations have come to stand for many different things in the minds of those who observe them from the outside, but typically the things they are known for is not love. Some of the churches are known best for their theology of fire and brimstone, some for their teachings about the secret rapture. 
Some for the importance they attach to the prophecies of the book of Revelation. Some for their ardent proselytizing. Some for their dietary restrictions. Some for the day on which they worship. Some for the stand they take on abortion. Some because they speak in tongues. Yet the Savior made clear what should be the identifying mark of his people. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Twenty-three years ago, February 16, 1995, an author, Ella Radinsky, wrote an article for the Adventist Review. It was an article called Corporate Love. And in this article, she noted the startling fact that no religion or denomination in the world is specifically known for its love of people. And then towards the end of her article, she says, Someday, one group will make agape love part of their committed lifestyle. Corporate love will be the fundamental belief And they will be the remnant people. And where remnant people prevail, tragedies such as Bosnia and Rwanda's cannot happen. Such people believe that their true identity lies in belonging to Jesus Christ rather than to a tribe or a race or an ethnic group. Jesus came to model a whole new dimension in human relationships. He showed us once and for all that true spirituality, true consciousness, is loving awareness of others. His teaching and example raised deep questions about all of our personal relationships. For you that are parents, how do your children feel about themselves when they are in your company? Are they honored as persons? Are they truly seen and heard? Are they listened to with your heart as well as your ears? Are they validated? Are their thoughts and feelings allowed to be their own, to be acknowledged without being ignored, disparaged, discounted, or ridiculed? In your eyes, in the very set of your face, can they read your esteem for them? Do they see that they are more important to you than your work, your friends, your hobbies? And outside of your family, how do those who work for you or that you work with feel about you? Are they diminished? Or are they emotionally and spiritually nourished when they're in your company? How do the people who cut your hair, check your groceries, repair your car, feel about themselves after they spend a few minutes in your company? The master knew that if his life made no difference in the way people treated each other, his mission would be in vain. If your religion, your spiritual quest, your attempt to find consciousness and enlightenment does not lead you to ever deeper into unconditional love, if it does not lead you to deeper awareness and compassion for other people, if it does not continually inspire you 
to acts of loving service to other human beings, then it is a farce. It is a complete waste of your time. But because Jesus came to this world, we are oh so slowly beginning to understand at last the supremacy of love. And I'm going to close with one more scripture reading from the book of 1 Peter. I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And I will also be reading this through the paraphrase, The Remedy. The end of life as we know it on planet Earth is near. Therefore, keep your minds clear and sharp. Maintain governance of yourself so that you can always talk clearly with God. Above everything, love each other completely because love destroys sinfulness. Be hospitable and cheerful when doing so. Don't serve others sullenly or out of obligation merely. All of God's children should be conduits of his love, distributing the resources they have received to uplift, nourish, and bless others in the knowledge of God's love. If you have a message to give, remember that you are God's representative, so speak words that are faithfully represent him. When you serve others, Don't rely on your own strength, but let the love of God flow through you to them so that it will be obvious that God is the one to whom praise is owed through Jesus Christ. To him be all glory, honor, power, praise forever and ever. Amen.